This morning it is. Good morning. This is my wife, Kim, and I'm Rich Chinin, and we've been privileged to call Lake Avenue Church our home for over 25 years. Our scripture reading today is from Matthew 28, verses 1 through 10 and 16 through 20. If you are able, will you please stand for the reading of God's word? After the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you're looking for Jesus, who was crucified. He's not here. He has risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, He has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee, there you will see him. Now I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid, yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly, Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. And in verses 16 through 20. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. This is the word of God. You may be seated. Well, if you can't tell, this is a big Sunday for Lake Avenue Church and every other church in the world. Uh, it's Resurrection Day. This is Easter Sunday. If what we celebrate today did not happen, we wouldn't even have a church here on this uh, corner of the Lake Avenue and, and the 210. So today what, what I want to do is to look at the, the most, I'll call it unfiltered report of what happened on that first Easter day. Uh, it's in Matthew chapter 28. It's the text that Rich and, and um, Kim have just read for us. And you'll see that I've subtitled the message, uh, hashtag no filter. Now, now, if you're my age, I have to explain it to you. On Instagram, that refers to pictures that aren't touched up and changed. It's the pictures in their original state. So this account in Matthew 28 is in my estimation one of those kinds of things. Not touched up, it's just the way it happened. It was written by somebody very close to Jesus, the Apostle Matthew. And one of the most real-to-life kinds of things that I find there is in verse 17, 
where, where some worshipped and believed, uh, others doubted. I mean, I just think about that. Even with Jesus right there in front of them, yes, some believed, but some doubted. I mean, they knew he was dead. <laughs> and now they see him alive. Some believed and some doubted. That's the way it was. I'll tell you, that's the way it's always been. And I imagine that today, that's the way it's going to be right here at Lake Avenue Church. Uh, one of the men who doubted for many years was a man named Lee Strobel, who had become an outspoken atheist. His wife, Leslie, believed. That troubled him so much, he had to look into this thing. Lee Strobel, as you may know, uh, was a journalist. He was the legal editor at the Chicago Tribune. So he began his research into this matter, and that research has made its way into a book called The Case for Christ. And I'm sure most of you know it's, it's been made into a movie that's right in the theaters now. I haven't seen it. I haven't seen it. But I've seen the trailer. And as I watched the trailer, I, I felt like the opening minute or so of this trailer just raised the questions that I want us to wrestle with today. So I'm going to show it to you, and then I'm going to come back again. If somebody wanted to do an investigation into Christianity, where would you start? If the resurrection of Jesus didn't happen, it's a house of cards. You sure you want to give me that loaded gun? I'm pretty sure you're not going to be able to pull the trigger. I've spent my entire career as a journalist uncovering the truth. Until the day my wife presented me with the biggest story of my life. I'm not gonna lose my wife and my kids to something that I can't even reason with. And what happened next changed me forever. How can we even talk about historical evidence for the resurrection? The Gospels are filled with contradictions. The empty tomb is based on evidence. And isn't evidence your trade? We all bet our lives on something. The question is, what's it gonna be? As much as I would like to help out a fellow skeptic, what you're proposing is impossible. Could Jesus survive being spiked to the cross? There is no evidence of anyone ever surviving a full Roman crucifixion. Just because I write something down and I bury it in the dirt, it doesn't make it true. But I felt it was something more real than anything I've ever felt in my life. I'm praying for you. Do you really want to know the truth, or is your mind already made up? All right, I know you want to watch the rest of it, but I'm not going to let you. <laughs> but in that video, at least several of the questions that I think we have to deal with on an Easter Sunday come right to the fore. Uh, like, one, uh, did this really happen, this resurrection? Number two, can that really change your life eternally, as Lee Strobel said? Is it something you can base your life on? And then uh, number three, do you, the last question, do you really want to know the truth today, or is your mind already made up? Now, I can imagine you saying to me, but, but pastor, your mind's already made up, and that's why you're up there talking. And I, I say, I know, I know, but I want you to just give me a hearing today, a hearing today, and see what you think. So when we come to this no-filtered account in Matthew 28, the first thing I, I just want you to see is uh, these two women witnesses. These two women witnesses. Did you notice in verse 1, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary 
went to look at the tomb and, you know, eventually was empty. And then in verses 9 and 10, they saw Jesus. Now, I am sure that most of you are having or have had religion classes sometime in your life. And I'm sure you know that in many of those religion classes here in our country, people seem to say that these documents, like Matthew 28, they were written decades later, maybe all the way a century later from when Jesus uh, lived. And and many many will say that really this was written by later uh, church people looking back and thinking about the kind of Jesus that they hope he was, the kind of Jesus that uh, they wish he might have been. So, so that it could bolster their own faith, so that it could get other people to, to believe in him. Scholars will often say, and because most people believe that there really was a Jesus in history. But many people say that the Jesus we read about here, who did miracles, who claimed to be God, who actually rose from the grave, that's what later Christians hoped he would have done, so that they say there was a real Jesus in history, a good man who did good things, but this is a Christ of faith. Um, There's a whole lot I'd like to say about that. I'll just tell you. But I'll say a few things to you about it. One, didn't you notice as Rich and Kim were reading that it sure sounds like Matthew is not writing fiction here. He really seems to believe this happened. Uh, He gives you the names. He gives you the details. This this is written not as fiction, but, but he's trying to report something that took place. A second thing I want you to know is that scholars a century ago, maybe a bit less, seem to think that these documents were written much later, but now most people believe, no, no, no. When this was written, many of those names, maybe most of those names, were still alive within anywhere from 20 to 30 years afterwards. Those people could have either confirmed or denied what Matthew said. And then the main thing I want to say in this point is the way that Matthew tells us that the first two witnesses were women. Now, many women who are here, you, I hate to tell you this right now, but there's something you, got, you, you may already know it. Back in the ancient world, the testimony of women was not taken as being something you could really uh, base your life upon. They weren't allowed in court. And that was true of all the major uh, people groups that surrounded this, the, the Jewish people, uh, the Greeks, the Romans, the Italians, they, they all believed the same thing. Among the Jewish people in the first century world, in their Talmud, this is what we read, uh, any evidence of a woman that she gives is not valid to offer. It is not admissible in deciding the case at hand. And among the Greeks, women were excluded even from appearing in law courts or participating at all in public assemblies. And the same thing was true in the Roman world. Women, therefore, had no real public voice, no public role to play in these societies. And I'm just telling you, that did not change for the 500 years after Jesus was alive. In fact, this resistance to accepting the testimony of women who are witnesses, you can see that when the Apostle Paul later wrote 1 Corinthians chapter 15, He doesn't even give the names of the the women who were witnesses, but only the names of the men who were witnesses. But not here in our no-filtered account in the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew tells us, when he tells the story, that the first two to see the empty tomb and to meet Jesus were women. And I'll tell you, there can only be one reason for that. That's the way it was. 
Now, of course, we can gather here a century later and, and doubt what the two Marys said. But I don't think we can say that later Christians just wrote that hoping that that's what people would believe and, and come to their church. No, I think when you look at a story like this, the question you have to ask is, can I trust what those two women said? And about that, some have believed and some have doubted. Which one are you right now? Well, I better move along. Uh, when you get down to verses 16 to 20, I, I want to say not just about the two women witnesses, but the multiple sightings of Jesus and the many witnesses. And you begin to see that in verse 16, but there's a little phrase in verse uh, 17 I like. They saw him. Now, who are these they? Let me just tell you about them. Jesus was killed and he was buried in Jerusalem. That's where the two Marys went to the tomb and they witnessed him. Then Jesus would tell these two women, go and tell the disciples something I've told them on many other occasions before, that after I die and I've been raised, that I'll meet you all at a mountainside, probably Mount Tabor, uh, in, in, in Galilee. I have a map up here just to show it to you. Do you see to the south, you see Jerusalem down there? That's where Mary met them. Then up in Galilee, that's where this later uh, meeting is going to happen. Jesus lived most of his life there in Galilee in the northern part. Almost all of his miracles were done up there. Most of them in one little city that was there. So you've got to get it. It's as if Jesus says, you've met me here now. But go and tell the others, I'm going to meet uh, those who will come up there north in Galilee. So I'm going to set the scene for you. Uh, the two women saw Jesus at the tomb. Several weeks went by after that. In those weeks, from other accounts, uh, Jesus appeared to other disciples at different times. It seems like this resurrected Jesus would, would show up and then go, teach, and then leave. But there was this one uh, appointment that he had talked about for a long time. I am going to come back to Galilee, and I will meet you there. Now, I, I have to just think about this. Um, had I been one of those disciples and I knew that, not only would I have shown up, but I think I would have brought my kids, would you? And I think I would have brought my parents and grandparents. I think I'd have brought my aunts and uncles, all of my fishing buddies, because so many of them were, were fishermen. And I think they all were there that day that we read about in Matthew 28, 16 to 20. Uh, Paul would say later in 1 Corinthians 15 that there was one occasion, one time, when 500 people saw Jesus at one place. Uh, many scholars have thought that this was it, and I think that they're probably right about that. So I imagine that day in Galilee by the mountain, on the mountainside there, the people arrived. Some of them were skeptical. Others, I can imagine, came anxious and with this eager anticipation. Remember again verse 17, some believed, some doubted. And I need to say a word about that too, because we here in the 21st century have this notion that the people in the ancient world were not as intelligent as we are, that, that, that they were much more gullible. Those stories are told. So yes, they were willing to believe anything. I just want to tell you, if you've come thinking that, think again. Um, the resurrection of a person from the dead was as inconceivable for the people gathered there on the mountainside in that day as it is for us in our day. I mean, do you go to a funeral service and expect the casket to pop open and someone to come out? 
The Greek people didn't believe in any resurrection of the body. Uh, the Jewish people believed that there was a general resurrection of the people of Israel later when God would make everything right. Church people, I've talked with you about that so often. It's found in the book of Isaiah. But none of the people in Jesus' day were predisposed to believe in the resurrection from the dead of a man or a woman no more than we are in our day. But then on this day, and again, I love the way that Matthew writes it, Jesus came and spoke. That's what Matthew reports. And Matthew would have been there. So, so just note this again on this day. It wasn't just the 11 disciples who saw Jesus. It wasn't just the two Marys who saw Jesus. Many people, in fact, Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 gives this longer list of people who had witnessed the resurrected Jesus. And he, he includes himself in that list as well. And then in the book of Acts, we read this. Jesus appeared to many people over many days. So this once crucified, dead, buried, but now risen Jesus was meeting people around Jerusalem so often that when, when the Apostle Paul was taken into court to give a testimony for why he was believing this and uh, this resurrection thing, he met before a governor and a king. Now, when you read it, it's in Acts 26. We often think that the governor is under the king, but in that situation, the governor was over the king. He was the governor of the whole region, and the king, Agrippa, was the local king. So when he stood in front of them, this is what Paul said. Governor Festus, ask King Agrippa. He knows Jerusalem. The king is familiar with these things, so I can speak freely to him. I am convinced that none of them has escaped his notice because it was not done in a corner. He's talking there about the resurrection. In other words, what Paul was saying is this claim that a man who was truly dead has risen from the dead, was witnessed all over the country. He was saying, we know that Jesus died and wasn't just mostly dead. You ever see Princess Bride? Oh. <laughs> he was completely dead. And now we see him and he's completely alive. And again, remember, this still happened in a time when uh, most of the people who were giving testimony to this were still alive. They could have denied it or confirmed it. So Paul said in court, the king knows this is true. The evidence is indisputable. And when he did, many believed. That's why the church grew so rapidly in the ancient world. Many believed, but Agrippa and Festus, they doubted. And again, where are you today? Which would bring me to the last thing, not just the two women, but the multiple sightings and witnesses. I want to bring this closer to our own lives. There is something that has happened that has made it so the church has grown all over the world and has been passed on, and I call it the ongoing changed lives. I think it all starts there in chapter 28, verse 19, where Jesus turned to the people who were there and he said, you go now and you make disciples of all nations. Now, in case you don't go to church very often, let me just tell you about these people that Jesus was talking to. These were the people who, after Jesus had done miracle after miracle after miracle, still were as dense as rocks about who he was. So in Mark 9, he turns to them and he says, do you still not understand? 
And they didn't. They didn't understand at all. These were the same followers of Jesus who after Jesus had told them for at least the third time, when I go to Jerusalem, I'm going to die. And immediately the next phrase is, but really when you get to Jerusalem and do what you're really going to do and set up your glorious kingdom there, which of us is going to get to sit on your right and which is going to get to sit on your left? These were the very same disciples who, were, who denied and were ashamed of Jesus in his darkest and most difficult hour. These were the very same people who were found cowering in some secluded room after Jesus has died, just being afraid that whatever had happened to Jesus is going to happen to me. These are the very same people that, to whom Jesus comes and says, now you, having seen me, you go into all the world and you begin to make disciples of all nations. And they do it. Oh, we... You've got to read this thing and say, what happened? Now, you know I've been a pastor for a long time. Some of you are first time to church. You can look at me and you know that, right? But I've seen this enough to think I know what happened. I think in Matthew chapter 28, these people who were there in Galilee really saw Jesus for the first time as he really is. I think that happens to church people all over the place. We show up even at church. We haven't really seen him as he, as he is. Have you ever had that happen to you? You've been in a place or you've seen someone for a long time and it's like the scales come off of your eyes and you see them in a whole new way. I remember after I hadn't seen Chris for a long time, actually the relationship had broken off and I came back from Germany and I saw her and I said, what's wrong with me? Don't, <laughs> you see, that happens to us. I, I think... I think that's what happened at this place. They had seen Jesus. They'd seen some things he did. But that day, they saw Jesus as Jesus, the Savior of the world. They saw him as the resurrected Messiah that they had waited for. They saw him as Jesus, not just a human being born in a manger, but as Jesus, the Son of God. And they really saw Jesus as the defeater of death. And I just, I, I think that maybe without them even knowing what was happening inside of themselves, they crossed over that day into a whole different way of thinking about the world. Before they saw him this way, they lived in a world where the difficulties were so harsh that hope that things could be different was being given up. They lived in a world in which sometimes the problems in this world seemed to be so insurmountable that nothing could change them. They lived in a world of constant battles and war. And when I've been reading in our own newspaper about that happening in our world, we begin to think, can peace ever reign? I imagine in their own families, in their marriages, they lived in a world in which relationships were so broken that they wondered if they could ever be healed and ever come back together again. They lived in a world in which people that they saw all seemed to be suffering under one Pontius Pilate or another. And especially they had lived in a world where dead people stay dead. <laughs> then they saw him. And they entered into this startling and breathtaking world that we're trying to talk about today. Of resurrection and life. Jesus died. 
and now lives. And I've got to tell you, if that is true, everything becomes possible in this world. And what I see in Matthew 28, 16 and following is the beginning of the resurrected Jesus actually changing the lives of those first believers. So Jesus steps out and says, now that you have seen me and you know who I am, I want you to go and make disciples of all nations. I've got to stop here for a moment. You know what a disciple is? It was a world, especially in the Greek world, uh, for a person who would listen and learn to a person he or she respected so that your life could become like that person. Disciples of Jesus. What you begin to see after this point with these disciples of Jesus is that they begin to become more and more like him. You can read about it in the book of Acts. Let me tell you one of the biggest ways that you can see the changes right here is that before, the mostly Jewish men who were there held many people at arm's length, having nothing to do with Samaritans and Gentiles and even with some of their own people who disagreed with them politically. That would never happen here, would it? Holding them at But Jesus didn't do that. Jesus didn't do that. Jesus entered into the lives of all people, of lepers, as well as a synagogue leader, of a prostitute, as well as a, a Roman centurion, of fellow Jews, but also of Samaritans and Gentiles. And then he says, as I have gone, you go and make disciples of all nations. And that's what they did. They were able to turn to every human being and said, what he did, he did for you. To all people, they could enter into their lives and say, whatever has been in your past doesn't have to stay there. There can be forgiveness. There can be cleansing. There can be a new beginning. And it began to be that there were people from every tribe and nation coming to hear this witness, giving their lives to Jesus and being offered a new family to belong to and a new Lord to follow. And that's what I'm praying that this church will be because Jesus changes our eyes and he changes our lives and he opens up his family. I call it an unexpected family of all for whom Jesus died. And that is all. See, their lives have changed. There's just no way you can read this without asking yourself, how did this cowardly group of men become world changers? <laughs> and it's because the resurrection power of Jesus became real to them. Is that still happening? There's our question, right? I know that a lot of people go to church. You might say, I know church people, they don't seem all that different. But let me just tell you, there are a lot that are very different. You don't even know them what they were like before they came to Jesus. But let me just tell you that. And then there are people who go to church and just sort of punch the clock and play the game. But I'm telling you, all over the world, all over the world, all over our nation and throughout history, we keep holding on to this because it is real. It is real. It's still happening today. It's happening here in our church. And I, I thought, how am I going to make sure you know this? So I'm gonna give you one testimony. You're not gonna, it's on a video, you're not gonna be able to see his face. We had to obscure it to hold on to his privacy because many people who come to Jesus outside of other religions or beliefs, even here in the States, face potential retribution. 
uh, social stigma, economic persecution, sometimes physical intimidation when they come to faith. So with that in mind, I want you to give a listen to Michael's testimony. My name is Michael, and I want to give my life testimony. I was born in Shia Muslim family in Kabul, Afghanistan. I'm married and have two sons and two daughters. Shias in Afghanistan have been persecuted by the Sunni Muslims for centuries. In 1996, two years after the Sunni Taliban took over Afghanistan, they started to kill Shias, so my family and I fled to Pakistan, where it was hard and dangerous too. We had lived there for nine years when one day some fanatic Muslims tried to recruit me. I was afraid, again for my family, so we went back to Afghanistan. On my way to work, I was picked up by some men and brought to an unknown place and was questioned. They asked me repeatedly what groups and political parties I belonged to and if I had any guns. I told them no, but I had large sum of money with me from work which they then took before letting me go. I was so tired of constant war and mistreatment. I decided to get my family to a safer place, so we fled to Afghanistan again and sought asylum as refugee in Turkey. After seven years, my family and I were granted asylum to the U.S. I had always prayed to God to lead us to a safe place, and it was here, in this new land, that Jesus Christ saved me in a miraculous way. Two men, Cyrus and Robert, from Lake Avenue Church, became my friends while teaching me English, and they introduced me to the Word of God. The more I heard about it, the more convinced I was that it was the right path to God. Cyrus invited me to a group where everything was done in my Farsi language, so I decided to go. The invitation came at a time in my life that my son-in-law and I were in such serious conflict that I wished to physically harm him. But I wondered, if I go to church and ask Jesus, could he help me? So I decided to go to the meeting. That night, around 4 a.m., I woke up and my heart was beating fast from anxiety. I said, Jesus, please save me from this situation. And then I felt like something was going through my body. I started quivering and I got scared, then felt this must be something that Jesus was doing. The rage and the bitterness I had for my son-in-law was replaced with joy and happiness. Jesus was freeing me. I now realize the only way for salvation is through Christ. If God gave me the entire earth, it couldn't compare to the joy I received when I was set free. I thank Jesus Christ and our Heavenly Father for my new life in Him. So today, God has summoned you not, not to a mountainside in Galilee, 
but he summoned you to be right here at Lake Avenue Church. Today you've heard, as best we can do it, you've heard about the resurrected Jesus. Maybe in a new way, or maybe for the first time, you see who he is. My question, will you believe? Or will you doubt? It will come as no surprise to you that I believe. Does that surprise anybody here? I am a follower of Jesus. Today, what I've tried to do is just join my voice with the millions and millions who've gone on before me to say to you, it's true, and to tell you Jesus loves you. He knows everything in your life. He loves you, and he was willing to die in your place. That was Good Friday. But death and sin could not hold him. He defeated it through his resurrection. And the same Jesus who has changed so many lives can and will change yours too. If you believe. And I declare that to you with so much confidence because he is risen. He is risen. Jesus Christ is risen. Uh, let's pray. Let's pray together. So, Father, do what you have always done. Open our eyes to see you in a new way, that everything in our lives might change to your glory in the name of Jesus. Amen.